Well, I was out of town last week, but I'm, I'm certain that Pastor Jermaine preached a powerful word on the book of Colossians. And we are moving in this book from, from really statements about who God is and what he has done in, in the gospel to now how does that relate to how we ought to live. Because we believe that the Bible tells us certain truths and realities that aren't intended to just be shelved in the, in the office of our mind, but they're, they're intended to be brought down and internalized and, and produce new behavior. But it's different than the world. In the world, we have, we have this process of behavior, therefore defining identity. Behavior defining identity. I do these things, I act this way, and if I do it enough, I can claim the identity of being this person. We, we, you know, I, I am a writer because I have written many, many books, and I'm not necessarily a writer until I do that. I am a, I'm a self-made man. You know, that means that I have, I have worked hard to, to establish something of an identity in my, my behavior, my actions, my accomplishments. Men, you know, we can relate to that as we think of our careers. I am a successful uh, entrepreneur, for me, when I was in, in the corporate world, I was an IT guy, and I was pursuing certifications in, in security, and so I was going to become a, what, security expert. And I wasn't a security expert until I had done the work. There was, in fact, one, uh, one uh, certificate that, that I, I passed the test, but because I didn't have the years of experience, they called me an associate until I could say that I'd had you know, a certain number of years of experience and someone could sign off then I could say that I was a, you know, a certified uh, security professional. My behavior was defining my identity. Now, the Bible gives us a very different picture. And in fact, God gives us a very different picture, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And God says, your identity informs and directs and shapes your behavior. Your identity informs and shapes and directs your behavior. And so in, in chapter 3, verses 1 and following, Paul says, you know, if you've been raised with Christ. In other words, if you, we talked about baptism, how we are raised with Christ, we're identifying with Christ. We're saying, this is who I am. If, Paul says, if this is who you are, then seek the things above. If this is your identity, then let that identity inform your behavior, inform your thoughts, inform your actions. It says to set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. And what does he say? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. For you have a new identity. Now over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about what that looks like. What actions should we take? And he's going to continue to to peel uh, the onion and talk about other aspects of what we are to do. And, and some of this will be, I, I think, encouraging and hopeful, and it'll give you kind of some hooks and some, some application. It's no longer just like, you know, theology and, 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 okay, well, I'm happy to learn about the Colossians, but how does this actually apply to my life? He's going to get very, very down uh, in, in the nitty-gritty, earthy details of your life and my life, and he's going to tell us exactly how this relates to us. And so I want us to be open to hearing what God would say, not just about what we're to believe, but how we're to act as a result of what we believe. 
We're going to be reading out of Colossians chapter, five, uh, chapter 3. We're not quite at 5. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Uh, so if you will stand with me, we're going to read these words together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord to us. Father God, I thank you that you, that you are doing a work in your people. God, I thank you that you, you don't just draw us out of our sin, but you bring about holiness and you call us to holiness. God, I pray that, that, that our lives be lives where we divest ourselves of the things that we are not supposed to have in our lives and we, we take up the things that you would call us to. That we would turn from sin and we would turn to you. That our lives would be lives marked by repentance and by faith in you. God, we recognize that we live in this tension where we are experiencing the benefits of the kingdom, but we still are tempted and tried by indwelling sin and by the broken world around us. And God, I pray that your spirit would today instill within us a resolve to walk in the lordship of God, to walk in obedience to your word, not as a way of earning anything, but because you have already called us sons and daughters. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So this section and the following section is going to talk about things to put off or to take off or to get out of your life. And then next week we'll talk about the things that God wants us to put on, the things he wants us to add to our lives. Um, the picture here is, is I, I think, very similar to Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus' good friends and uh, he he was one of the three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the book of John that, that are referred to as friends of Jesus. And there's this moment where Jesus is, is away from where Lazarus lives and, and they call Jesus and say, hey, Lazarus is sick, will you come and heal him? Jesus takes his disciples and they begin to travel to go see Lazarus. But on the way, they're interrupted by ministry and Jesus is intentional in this and Lazarus dies. And so they come, and, and Mary and Martha are upset, and they're, you know, they're, they're wrestling with God and, and, and trying to figure out, Jesus, what, we, we know that you could have done that. We know you could have saved him. And, and even one of the, the sisters goes so far as, I, I know he's going to be alive in the resurrection. 
And Jesus has other plans, and so he goes to the tomb. He, he weeps over the f- fact of brokenness and, and, and the compassion that he has for his friends and their heartbreak. And then he says the words, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes back to life, and he comes out. But at the end, it says that they have to remove the burial cloths. And when we come to faith in God, he calls us and he says, live. He says, come out. And we, we put our faith in the gospel. We believe Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We have this moment of, of transformation going from death to life, going from uh, what we once were to what uh, Paul says in, in Corinthians as a new creation. Going from the old self to the new self. It's a new humanity But there's still some things that need to be taken off, some burial cloths that need to be taken off, some vestiges of of the earth. And and when the Bible says earth here, when, when Paul says earth, he's talking about those earthly fallen things that exist in us. So we're going to talk about three things. He wants us to be pure by putting off immorality. He wants us to be loving by putting off a critical attitude in, in speech. And he wants to do these things because our identity is Christ. He wants us to be pure by putting off immorality. He wants us to be loving by putting off a critical attitude and speech. And he wants us to do these things because our identity is Christ. You know, teenagers, you're in here and, and your temptation might be to tune me out to think that this is not for you because you're not married and you don't intend to be married very soon. But let me assure you that, that the, the call that God has for you, whether you're young or old, is to be pure. The call for you, whether you're young or old, is to use your words as a way of building people up. The call for you, whether you're young or old, is to live in the context of this community of life in a way that your lordship, your your commitment and your submission to God is expressed through the way you treat other people. You know, I, I remember being in college, and I've talked about this before, but I remember being in college and thinking I was an awesome guy. And I read my Bible in the mornings, you know, bright and early, 10 a.m., right before my first class. And I remember skipping to, to my, my class, singing a worship song, being a holy, holy man. And... And I remember going to InterVarsity and playing guitar, leading worship, thinking, man, God has made a really good guy out of me. I'm, I'm pretty holy. And I remember going to a mission trip and thinking, I am changing the world. And then I got married and I realized I'm a jerk. Because it's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we're something when there's no mirror in front of us. And God puts us in relationship in order to provide mirrors. Because ultimately, God wants us to reflect the character of Christ. And the temptation that we have is to reflect our own character. And so, as we're talking about this, understand that God is establishing something in your life That he wants you to live out in the context of other people. Your holiness is expressed in the way you treat other people. 
So he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Sex is something that God has given humanity for the context of marriage between a man and a woman. We see in the beginning that God creates Adam. He creates the world. He creates Adam, and Adam is lonely. He is a bachelor. He's, he's dead inside. He's not really dead inside, but it's clear that he needs something. There's something that he needs. There's something that's missing from his life, and so God creates Eve and puts them together, and he sees her and says, oh my goodness, you're amazing. We have this marriage ceremony, and they are together, and it says that they know each other, and that refers to marital intimacy, and again, if you want to know more about that, talk to your parents, um, but they, they are put t- together, and they are in love, and they are in marriage, and it's good. That is the context for the blessing of, of marital intimacy. That is the standard. Anything else outside of that falls within what Paul calls sexual immorality. Right? We don't have to go, this, this word is a bit like the junk drawer that you, you, uh, everyone has in their, their house. It's the drawer that has all the stuff. You know, it's got batteries and like, you know, um, there's a can opener in there and th- those coupons from, from Bed, Bed, Bed Bath & Beyond for 20% off of nothing. Right? It's 20% off, but doesn't apply to any of the things you want to buy there. Right? That's the junk drawer. It just catches everything. This word here, sexual immorality, it's the junk drawer of, of behaviors that fall outside of a man and a woman married in a covenant relationship. Not before they're married, not they're engaged, not they're, hey, we're buddies and we think about this, but they're married. They've put a ring on it and they've said, I am committed to you forever. Outside of that, Outside of that, anything as it relates to our sexual existence is off limits. And within the context of marriage, that is intended to be a blessing for a purpose, to bring a, a husband and a wife together and to, to make babies happen. Poof. He says that, that we are to put off, put to death sexual immorality. He goes on to talk about impurity, passion, evil desires, and, and if you look at other translations, it, it'll, the words will vacillate a little bit, but basically it talks about the actions and activities and the desires surrounding those actions and activities that fall outside of the context of a married relationship between a man and a woman. Anything else we do is, is impure. You know, I, I was a youth pastor, and a lot of times the conversation would would people would try to take it to, well, you know, how far can we go? And, and that's not the right question. If you're asking that question, you've already broken the rules. You've already broken the rules. God calls us, and Paul, Paul tells us that we are to hold up marriage by, by putting all of this off, by staying away from this. He goes so far as to say, flee sexual immorality in other places. And he goes on, and, and he says, He says, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desires. And then he says this word, covetousness. And you're like, well, that's a left turn. In in some of your Bibles, it says greed. And you're like, we're talking about money now? What? But the word there, 
he, he's saying that, that there's a desire underlying all of this to want and to have what God has not intended for you to have. The reason these things are bad is because God has not put them on the menu. He's not said you can have this or that relationship. You can, he, he, he said you cannot just live with your girlfriend or your boyfriend before you get married. That's not on the menu. And so to desire that is to be covetous, to want what you are not intended to have. He says, put those things to death. If you are in Christ, then part of the the working out of this character is that you live in a way that is submitted to God and his ways. And what has God said? God has said, love between a man and a woman in covenant relationship, that is the expression of, of, of intimacy that, that God has blessed and established. And anything outside of that is outside of the bounds of God. So if we're living as, as Christians, if we're, if we're abiding by the character and the nature of Jesus Christ, then we're going to want to live in line with that standard. Everything else is wanting to do something or have something that you've not been given And he goes on and he says this, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because at the end of the day, when you are pursuing things that God has not put on the menu, you are saying, God, you are not in charge of the menu. God, you are not in charge of my life. You're not in charge of my body. You're not in charge of what choices I make. I'm in charge. And at that moment, we we take God off the throne and we put ourselves on the throne. We worship our desires, our, our hungers, and we, we are not submitting to God. See, th- this is a serious thing for Paul because this is a primary way that, that the, the Gentiles, the Colossians, but the Gentiles in general, had a lot of practices that, that were uh, not within the order that God had. And he's saying that all of these things are expressions of an underlying idolatry. And if you look at the Old Testament, you see uh, adultery and idolatry constantly being tied together. That, that our deepest and closest relationships express something about our, our willingness to obey God. The way that you treat your spouse, the way that you treat the opposite sex, the way that you uh, relate to your desires says something deeply about what you believe about God. Your willingness to submit to his will or your unwillingness to submit to his will, in this area, expresses something about what you believe about the lordship of God. So what are we to do? We live in a a challenging world. We live in a world where we're surrounded by immorality. it's, It's in the air, it's in the water, it's on TV. It's not even in like just R-rated movies. It's in it's in cartoons and, and children's shows and, and their efforts in the world to try and bring about alternatives to this standard that God has established and to not only bring about those, those different alternatives, but to call them good. So wh- what are we to do? Well, Paul says that we are to put to death these things. And practically speaking, that, that's, I'm going to give you three things. Confess, you repent, and you trust. 
You confess, and you, when, when we say confess, we're not just saying, I did these things, I have been doing these things, as though it is a fact to be reported, but we, we lay it before God, recognizing that it is sin. And when I say sin, I mean that we are under the authority of God. He has set and established rules and order, like I said, and we are recognizing, I have lived out of order. I have lived out of your law. I've lived unlawfully in looking at that thing or doing that thing or, or spending time with that person. We confess. We confess to God first and, and potentially we confess to a person of the same sex who is discipling us and leading us. Because we, we may need to confess to our spouse, but we confess and then we repent we don't just say, I've been doing this thing, but we say, I've been doing this thing. It's wrong. God has called me to put it off. He says, put it to death, and I'm putting it to death. I'm getting rid of that relationship. I'm getting rid of that app. I'm getting rid of that, that internet access. I'm getting rid of that, that uh, Facebook account. I, I'm moving out of the house. I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm taking drastic measures to repent. We confess and we repent and then we trust God. We trust that come what may, God is good and he loves us. We trust that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive. When we repent, we get to walk in sanctification, in holiness, in renewed purity. We get to remember that the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us. We get to, to celebrate the fact that God has taken our record and, and nailed it to the cross. And we trust him. But you can't trust him if you aren't confessing and repenting. We confess, repent, and we trust. God wants us to live pure. And I'm convinced that, that it's going to become ever more important in our lives to do so. Teens, you're in this room, and, and again, please don't, don't tune me out. This is so important for your lives. You're going to have to live uniquely odd lives in, in, in the presence of your peers. The things that, that my parents grew up with, it doesn't even begin to compare with what you're growing up with as it relates to sinfulness, wickedness, sexual immorality. I, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to couch this stuff, but, but you probably know a ton about what I'm talking about because the world that you're growing up in is messed up. But there is hope and there is power and there is strength to obey. There is grace he goes on and he says, this is so important. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And he says, in this you too once walked when you were living in them. See, Paul's not coming from a place of judgment. He's coming from a place of, of, of being a peer. And he says, hey, we all, we all walked in this. We all are made of the same stuff. We all are made of clay. His point isn't to, to wag his finger. But his point is to say, guys... There is a wrath coming. There is judgment coming. There is God's righteous 
punishment coming to those who choose to disobey God. That is not a message that people like to hear. We like to think that God is good. He loves us all the time. Everyone's going to heaven. It's totally cool. He doesn't mind when you do bad things. The bad things you do aren't even that bad. They're okay. We won't even talk about bad things. Let's talk about nice things. I want to talk about nice things. You want to talk about nice things. But the reality is there are bad things. And there aren't just bad things like, I've got bad things in my pocket. Let me put that bad thing down. I have bad things in me. You have bad things in you. And if we don't take seriously the call to holiness, we will bow our knee one way or another. We will bow our knee either voluntarily saying, God, I confess my sin and I repent. Or at the judgment, God will break our knee and we will bow. Confess, repent, and trust because we're called, if we're in Christ, to reflect the purity of Christ. He goes on and he says this, but now you should put away these other things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Some of you are like, ha, got off that first list, I'm doing good. (laughs) Paul's like, oh, hold on a second. And he says this, you need to put to death these things as well. Anger, wrath, malice. Paul, he's, he's heaping words on words. And we can talk about some of the nuances of the words, but, but by and large, the first three really talk about an attitude of ill will towards others. And I, I'm sure that none of you have had that. So just make sure you tell your friends about this, about, hey, the Bible talks about not being angry, so I'm praying for you. The Bible talks about this attitude of anger, and, and it is, you know what happens when you're angry? Not, not when you're angry about injustice in the world, but when you're just angry because someone uh, cut you off, or they said something that you didn't want them to say, or they didn't do what you wanted them to do. When, when anger rises up, our heart is saying, you know what, I'm in charge, and you broke my rules. And that's not right. See, righteous justice says, you broke God's rules. And, 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 and it has to stop. But this anger that he speaks of, this, this malice that he speaks of, this wrath, this rage that he speaks of, it says, you've broken my rules. Husbands, have you been harsh with your wife? Have you thought to yourself, she's breaking my rules? Wives, have you been harsh with your husbands? He needs to figure it out. Parents, have you been harsh with your children? Children, cool it. (laughs) He says, you got to put these things away. And you you don't just put these things away by, I'm just not going to feel angry. No, we, 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 we remember, who are we? We are in Christ. And what was Christ? He was submitted to the Father. He was saying, God, not my will, but your will. Not my rules, but your rules. And when we give over, when we put to death anger, we say, God, I'm not in charge. I'm not the ultimate arbiter of what's right and wrong in life. Doesn't mean that we don't feel hurt. Doesn't mean that it doesn't doesn't hurt when people are unkind to us, when they're rude to us, when they, they write, they actually do bad things to us. 
but it means that we relate to our pain differently. When, when others sin against us, we, we go to God with that and say, God, do what you want to do with that, but he, they have hurt me. He's hurt me. She's hurt me. Put away anger, wrath, malice. And he, and he goes on and he talks about slander and obscene talk from your mouth. It's not just the, the thoughts that we have and the attitudes that we, we cultivate and, and we, we, we treat this anger like a garden, but, but the reality is when that anger that we're treating as our special secret garden of, of hate and, and, and vitriol bears fruit, we say things and we say, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. I was just thinking about saying it for a long time. Oh, I, di- I'm, I didn't mean to send that email. I just thought very carefully about each and every word that I put in that email, and then I sent it, and then I realized that's not going to be good for my job. That's a career-limiting move. When we indulge our anger, when we indulge wrath, when we indulge malice, these things come out, slander, evil talk. And he's saying, guys, if you are in Christ, setting your mind on things above, And what ought to be flowing out of you ought to be love. Jesus says in John 13, 35, that, or 34 or 5, I don't remember, look it up later. Um, They will know that you're my disciples by what? By your love for one another. In, uh, In Corinthians, the, Paul, Paul says, that, that the greatest commandment is that we love one another. And that, that's an interesting thing for Paul to say because in other places, Jesus says the most important command is that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? That's, so why does he leave it off? The reason that he leaves it off is because what he's saying is your expression of loving others communicates to God what you believe about loving him. So many of us think that we can love God and be furious at someone else. And, and we, can, we can cultivate that. We can love that like it's a teddy bear. This unforgiveness, this anger, this impatience. We can have our reasons. We can have our list. Say, God, I love you so much. But this person, we're not talking about this person. I'm not being mean to them, God. I'm not saying the things I'm thinking. I'm thinking these things. But Paul says, no, you have to put this to death. I mean, we just think about Jesus. He's on the cross, bleeding out, holding his legs up so he doesn't uh, suffocate. His, his hands are, 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 are punctured. His, his feet are punctured. His, his head is bleeding. His back is just in, in, in ribbons. All because of these people. And he could have been thinking to himself, these people, these people, these arrogant, evil, wicked, rebellious people could have been righteously wrathful, could have been totally right in saying, we're done, and just, everyone's dead. Horrible, terrible judgment. And he has people heckling him on the cross, they come on down, and they're spitting at him. I mean, can you imagine? Not only has he been tortured, but he is being made fun of and, and 
in the weakest possible situation, most painful possible situation. I mean, I've stubbed my toe and just be like, don't talk to me. Even loving words don't say them to me. And he is writhing in pain. Intentionally. At one point, they offer him, uh, they offer him a, a, a vinegar wine that had a medicinal effect, and he turns it down. He turns it down. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, to be doped up so he doesn't have to feel the pain that he's going through because he needs to experience the wrath of God and the pain that he's going through. And he's listening to people mock him. He's thinking about his disciples just totally piecing out on him, betraying him. He's thinking about this guy, Judas, who, who spent three years with him, sleeping beside him, walking with him, hearing him teach, just sell him out. And sad, Jesus was probably sad, too, that he, he takes his life. Like, this is a guy I cared about, and he just ruins his life. And what is... What does Jesus do? Does he look down and just in anger and rage and fury say, I'm not forgiving you guys? No, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is what it looks like to live in Christ. You go to work and people are, treat you terribly. You live in a marriage and your spouse treats you terribly. You have children and your children teach you, treat you terribly. You have family members and your family members treat you terribly. You live in a country and people in the country treat you terribly. And those are legitimately true things that happen. And your heart is legitimately wounded. But Christ invites you to participate in resurrection life and say, forgive them. I forgive them. We want to be who we are in Christ by putting off who we aren't. By being pure, by putting off immorality, by being loving, by putting off a critical attitude because ultimately our identity is in Christ. He goes on and it says, do not lie to one another, which is another expression of, of this slanderous attitude. Don't lie to one another. Be honest and truthful and loving and, and vulnerable Something that you can only do when you're loving and you're being willing to loving people. Being willing to love people. And he says this, don't, don't lie. Seeing that you've put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. He's saying, you've put on Christ. Don't act like you haven't put on Christ. And then he says this crazy thing. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. What is he talking about? Right? He goes from talking about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then he goes and he says, because guys, there's no distinctions. And, and what is his point? His point is that we are living in, the, in this church community, we are living as though we're looking at Christ. The differences between you and me don't exist. They exist, you know, there's still men, there's still women, there's still roles, there's still children and adults. But as it relates to who we are before God, our primary identity is that we are Christians, that we are in Christ, and that our actions should reflect that. Here, there's, there's no longer this old way of living. Here, there's no longer this old kind of living, but, but we've been brought together into a new community. Our a primary 
way we live in obedience to God is by reflecting our character towards those people he's put in our lives. I'll say that again. A primary way that you and I obey God is not just by reading your Bible and praying. Those are important things. But it's by reflecting his character towards those that he's put in our lives. I don't say this from a place of judgment. I've done this thing too. But like husbands, have you read Don't be harsh with your wife and then been harsh with your wife. God is not just calling us to know the Bible. He's calling us to live the Bible. Wives, God is calling us to to not just know the Bible, but to live the Bible. People, God is calling us not just to know his standards, but to live his standards. Four final thoughts, real quick. Four thoughts on persevering. Grace means that if you failed in these areas, there's still hope, and today you can confess, repent, and trust in God. If you live in our culture, you have likely failed in these areas. If you're a human, (laughs) you have likely failed in these areas. Paul's point is not to condemn what God has covered. Paul's point is to say, how are you going to live now? I don't want you to walk out of this room and beat yourself up and then forget about it and keep living the way you've been living. If you, if you feel the weight of bricks, then deal with it with God. And if you don't know, where do I start? There's a thing that the Holy Spirit's brought to mind. Confess it to God, repent, turn away from it, and turn to God. If you need to, talk to a person on, at, at the altar of the same gender. If you need to, talk to your spouse If you need to apologize to your child, teens, if you need to apologize to your parents. But but you have an opportunity today. There is hope today. In, In Hebrews it says, turn to God while the day is still today. Do it now. Do it now. Grace means if you failed in these areas, there's still hope and you can confess repent and trust. And then three, just motivating things. First of all, you are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Guys, you're not your own. The the world wants to tell you, you you are the self-determiner of what you do with yourself, especially with your body. And the Bible says that's just not true. You can live like it's true, but it's just not true. You're not your own. That's one, number one. Number two, God is at work. Maybe, maybe you feel real bummed out. You feel real depressed, real discouraged. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians 2. If you are in Christ, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, James chapter 1. If you are in Christ, you are God's workmanship prepared, made for good works, which God prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10. If you are in Christ, do not become weary in doing good, but, but persevere knowing that you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up, Galatians 6.9. James 1, Philippians 2, Ephesians 2, verse 10, Galatians 6, verse 9. God is at work. God is at work in your life, no matter what anyone else has said. And then finally, 
One day, guys, we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see Jesus. In Revelation chapter 7, this is a picture of the great multitude. And, and John tells us, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and, and the four living creatures. There were some living creatures that represent some things you can talk about later. And they fell on their faces before the, before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. One day you will look at your maker. And if you are in Christ, you will celebrate. And if today you're, you're wrestling with whether or not I will lay down my life and obey him, let me encourage you, bow your knee voluntarily today. Be who you are by putting off, by putting to death, by putting away who you are not. If you are in Christ, you are pure. Live like you're pure. If you are in Christ, you are loving. Live like you are loving. If you are in Christ, you bear Christ's nature and his character. Live like you bear his nature and character. I want to pray for you. Father God, we need your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And God, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would do his work of conviction of sin. Lord, I recognize that there are some in this room who are wrestling with their past, who are wrestling with their present circumstances. They're wrestling with this, this call to lay down their lives and submit to you. And I pray that you would make it easy, that you'd, you'd bring a picture of Christ to their minds to see that you are worth it. Come what may, you are worth our obedience. Whatever the cost, whatever we have to give up, whatever we have to lay down, Lord, we pr I pray that they would put it down in order that they might pick up you. They might walk in, in who they are. And there are some who have experienced real brokenness and been sinned against. And God, I pray that you would bring hope and healing and life, comfort and encouragement and consolation. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Today's the day to bow your knee. If you want to do that, you can just raise your hand with me and pray a prayer. There's nothing magical in the prayer itself, but it's a reflection and a response of what God's doing in your heart. Father God, we love you. Help us to live in a way that honors you. Lord, help us, help me, help us to live out of our identity in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, family.